Hello, friends near and far. It's the Farm and Garden Show. I'm your host, Elizabeth Archer. So happy to be back with all of you for a very cool show. But before we dive into that, as always, a special hello to my kid, May. May knows how to write her name, mom and dad. And this week, she learned how to write a fourth word, pizza. Congratulations, May. You love words, and I love you. My Excuse me. My guest today is Gowan Batiste of Fortunate Farm, a 40-acre farm in Casper on the coast. Gowan raises a flock of heritage sheep and works with the Mountain Lion Foundation to educate other ranchers and farmers on peaceful coexistence with native apex predators. She also writes for several magazines and for subscribers on Patreon. Fortunate Farm is also home to an indigenous women-led nonprofit, Ha Kako Delay, that is growing vegetables and doing food sovereignty work on site. Very cool. Gowan and her friend Sarah Bodner did a year of local eating a decade ago in 2013 called Eat Mendocino, which Gowan has described as a love letter to Mendocino County. Now, 10 years later, Gowan is reprising the project and will start another year of local eating on January 1st. Gowan, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks so, so much for inviting me. So I came to the county 10 years ago. Ten and a half years ago, and met Sarah pretty quickly, and was immediately enamored with Eat Mendocino, and um, participated a little bit. I taught Sarah how to can food, and made her a birthday cake. It's hard to make a carrot cake without any leavening agent, but we made it work. And now, ten years later, you're doing it again. So I'm just thrilled. I'm thrilled that I'm still here. You're still here. That it's happening again, and I think it's going to be really fun to talk about it. So. Absolutely. My first question, what was the primary motivator for you to to do Eat Mendocino 10 years ago? Well, um, I was 24 years old. I was managing the Noyo Food Forest and working with um, youth in gardens in Fort Bragg. And part of it was just a curiosity um, for my students of whether or not this was something that that could be done. We were spending a lot of time talking about food systems and distribution. Um, And then another piece of the conversation that was happening a lot was kind of seeing, at the time, sort of this new social cachet in local food, where local food um, went from being kind of something everyone's grandma did um, to something that was cool and hip and expensive. And I wanted to push back against that a little bit, the kind of... um, elitism that I was seeing and the inaccessibility and just wanted to see if it was something that I could do. Um, so it started as this like very um, internal kind of exploration. And then of course, very quickly um, and kind of at the last minute, uh, Sarah Bodner decided to join me and she turned it into just a party. Yeah. She know? was like, fun, um, let's do it. Yeah, it's December. You know, I can start a year of eating locally. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it, it was like you know, ten days before the first, and I was showing up at her um, her rented place in the village in Mendocino to take her lemon tree to my greenhouse for the winter, and she was like are you still going to do that? And I said, yes. And she's like, well, I'm going to do it with you. And that was that. And um, I really, it, the rest of my life would be very, very different if, um, if that hadn't have happened. So because <laughs> otherwise really you would have been doing it alone. 
I well, I would have been doing it alone, and I also think that Sarah was very correct in her um, her prediction that nobody ever would have heard about it. Mm, yeah, um, you would have just quietly. Like, <laughs> yeah, I would have just like secretly been harvesting like, sea salt. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, this is nobody's business, you know. <laughs> um, you know, Sarah like made a website. Yeah, which I never would have done. Um, and it's, it really, uh, it, it set me on a trajectory, um, of the rest of my life really up until now. So let's talk a little bit more about that first year. What kind of preparations did you do? And then when January 1st hit, what were you missing? (laughs) What was your first like panic moment? There were many. Um, so I had initially thought that I did a lot of preparation. So for most of 2012, I was preparing. I knew I was going to do it. I did a, um, a test run of a month in August 2012. So I figured, you know, if I could do it in August for a month, then I could, I could do it. That was proof of concept. And at the time, you know, I was living in shared housing. I didn't have a big whole canning range. You know, I had a tiny little apartment stove. I, I had a kitchen space in um, the shade house at the the farm I was managing, but just with those little electric hot plates that I couldn't run a canner on. So I was freezing and dehydrating a lot. Mm. And I had a giant chest freezer, like a chest freezer, like bigger than my kitchen table um, that I was, you know, stocking with all kinds of blanched vegetables fish, meat, dairy, um, for months and months. Um, the first thing that was kind of a shock was I hadn't been planning on doing this project with two people and Sarah hadn't done much prep at all. I mean, she had, she didn't know she was doing it at all. Yeah. No, she, she didn't know she was doing it. She had some local food in her pantry, you know, she's that kind of a, that kind of a gal. But, um, so the first thing was like, okay, you know, we're kind of having everything. And then the second thing was actually that, um, a, uh, a drunk driver drove into a power pole in downtown Fort Bragg and, um, there was a temporary power outage oh, no. and, um, my, uh, my chest freezer was in the barn and, uh, didn't have a surge protector. And, you know, five days later I go to check it and um the whole freezer was was thawed oh gowan um, my heart is breaking right now for 10 years I ago know. you i know so we had this like panic of like cook everything so we could refreeze it give away everything that we couldn't um but that happened in february and that meant that that march was a hard month mm. um so i think that one of the things that i really learned is like just you know, 2000 calories a day is not enough to plan for one person. You know, you also have to plan for emergencies. You have to plan for guests. You have to plan for redundancies that I just, um, I hadn't preserved nearly enough food. And because I wasn't canning, I didn't have a setup to, to run a canner. Um, the food that I had was all pretty dependent on being able to be either kept dry or kept frozen. Um, so, you know, I think that that was the first thing, you know, and I also remember all my potatoes starting to sprout 
and being like, no, <laughs> don't do it, potatoes. <laughs> I was planning on having these potatoes for at least another month. And, and actually, um, John and Joanne at Noyo Hill Farm saved us and gave us 50 pounds of potatoes that had been stored correctly and were not sprouting, unlike mine. And, um, you know, remembering that, um, you know, it, that was an incredibly, incredibly sweet moment. We went over to their place and they went in their own pantry and, you know, cause they'd stopped, they'd stopped selling them and they'd kept a couple hundred pounds for their family over the winter and gave us this giant 50 pound, um, sack. And, you know, it was, it was such a, such a treasure, you know, it was like such a beautiful moment. And of course, in the 10 years since then, you know, they're no longer with us and, mm. You know, no hill farm is has closed and so thinking about things like that of like you know the people that were incredibly generous to us then and you know so many of them are have either you know moved on um or passed on and also you know there are many that are still with us and um, people who were interns who are now managers who now have their own farms and, you know, um, a lot happens in 10 years, a lot happens in 10 years, you know, there's, there's been, um, some tectonic shifts in the County that it's going to be really fun to revisit. Well, I remember from that year, a lot of people, especially as the news of the project spread wanting to support you and that people would just like drop food off at your, uh, on your doorstep and invite you over. And it became like this fun challenge to feed you to. And, um, there was a lot of, there was a real sense of excitement and generosity that (laughs) is one of the things that immediately helped me fall in love with the County was your project and people's response to it. That's really sweet to hear. I'm interested. Oh, go ahead. That cake. Oh my gosh. Sarah, bless her heart, did tell me it because I did a, a trial run. She just wanted a carrot cake. And she said, if you can't make it work without baking soda, it's probably okay if you put like a half teaspoon of baking soda. It won't, <laughs> it won't like ruin the experiment. And that is my next question, actually, which is like, what are the rules? And I know rules is a silly word because it's a project you are doing and you're executing right. and there's no like police to come and tell you you've done right. it wrong. Uh, but what are, what's sort of the, the container that you're operating in and how is that different from the 2023 rules? Right. Um, yeah, like it's something that, that we talk about a lot is like no one's making us do this. Right. <laughs> you know, the, the rules are what we decide they are. Um, so one of the things that I really wanted to focus on, um, in this project was taking out the kind of invisible like filler ingredients that, that stick things together and make them work, but whose origins we don't really explore very often, right? Things like leavening agents, um, anti-caking compounds and flour, um, sawdust, <laughs> commercial remnants, sawdust, right? Um, diatomaceous earth, like, um, all of, all of this stuff comes from somewhere, you know, it has some kind of a food mileage imprint. Um, and so letting go of that, you know, making sourdough bread, um, using wild yeast, um, that, that was a focus. But so the original project in 2013, the rules were that everything that we eat and drink, and, and that means everything, spices, seasoning, salt, vinegars, um, comes from the boundaries of Mendocino County with the caveat that if someone is coming to visit from outside the County, they can bring food with them to share with us that came from their garden or from their farmer's market. And if we're traveling somewhere else, um, we can eat, we can bring food with us and eat food that's local to Smart. 
um, to where we're going. I remember cinnamon, chocolate, and coffee being three things that were missed in that year. I had such a bad coffee hangover that I've actually never gone back to it. Wow, Gowan. Yeah, for the subsequent 10 years, like, I, I have not return to coffee because just the experience of like cold I, I told myself I was going to taper off and then of course like December 31st 10 p.m. I'm like chugging the last of my coffee, <laughs> coffee. You're like maybe this caffeine will last for 36 hours <laughs> no and I, I had the worst headache and I, I just it I've never been able to drink coffee since then um but I think you know to talk about like so those were the rules um when it comes to now to 10 years later there i have like we have made a couple of changes and the main thing is that our network is bigger now and i actually think i mean of course it is i think it would be a huge failure if in 10 years our community hadn't grown and one of the big changes is that you know we're now part of the mendo lake food hub this is a mendo lake food hub stand show so yeah 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 let's talk all about the food hub (laughs) <laughs> right. And so our farm hosts a distribution node That's right. for the Mendeley Food Hub. So other farmers come to drop their produce off here. The trucks come to pick up here. We're part of this system. Our farm stand at Fortunate Farm, um, you know, we vend for other farmers that are in the hub network. We're a retail site for the hub um, in that way. And so we, we talked about this a lot because it's the Mendo Lake Food Hub. Not all the farmers that are participants in this you know, this food distribution hub are in Mendocino County. And we talked about it of like, well, should we only order from Mendocino County farmers on the hub? Should we not use the hub? Um, and ultimately, where I came out with it with discussion from, you know, like my family and, and loved ones was basically that, you know, community relationships are more important than lines on a map. And the the farmers that are in the hub network are my agricultural community. They're people that have thrown their lot in economically and ecologically with us. And um, so we just decided that for 2023, all the Mendo Lake Food Hub participating farmers are eat Mendocino kosher. Um, and I think it's your that, food shed. I mean, that makes sense. It's, That's it's our food shed, right? And your community, sure. Right. You know, so, you know, these are folks like we're invested in this really important food distribution network together. And, you know, I don't want to like pick and choose which of those members are more important than others. They're all equally important. So um, I've actually been ordering things in bulk from the food hub this entire time. And it shows up in boxes with Eat Mendocino on the sides of them. Oh, and it's really cool. I want to describe for listeners what I'm looking at because Gowan is on Zoom and we're on Zoom and we're on video, which is lovely. And behind Gowan are these perfect pantry shelves with just rows of canned goods. There are baskets with squash and there's a cat that's been coming in and out of the picture. So I know it's dangerous to romanticize farm life, um, but what you are portraying on this Zoom and what I want to share with readers <laughs> is what looks like a very cozy spot. You know, I, I don't know if if the audio was good enough to pick up the crash earlier, which is the sound <laughs> that is made when a chubby orange cat jumps onto the corn drying rack. Mm. Um, no corn was harmed. How could it they resist? Sounded, yeah, right. Um, you know, honestly, like, I think that there is a danger in romanticizing it, but at the same time, like, the lows are lower than I think 
anybody who hasn't been there can imagine, but the highs are also higher. Mm, sure. You know, it, it outlives its hype by a lot. Um, it just also does a lot of other things. <laughs> so what made you want to do this again, 10 years later, spend, dedicate another year of your life to eating exclusively food made, grown in Mendocino and Lake Counties? Uh, to my knowledge, there is still no cinnamon or chocolate in that two-county area, although there is now ginger. There is ginger. So yeah. why, why are you doing this, Gowan? Um, just like, first of all, just like a shout out to Francisco for growing ginger. Oh my gosh. Um, it's so beautiful. We are so, so thrilled with that. Some of the, the rows in the background are actually pickled ginger Ooh. that um, Francisco grew. And oh my gosh. At I'm, the Golden Rule Garden, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm so, so thrilled that he, they made the decision to do that. Um, so it was always in the plan to do this again in 10 years. And, you know, when I look back at myself then and the kind of like plucky, hard-headed um, kid that I was, um, I just took it for granted that in 10 years I would have my own farm, I would still be in Mendocino County, and I would do this project again and then would be able to look at, you know, what did we accomplish in 10 years? You know, what's the same? What's different? Have we lost ground? Have we gained ground? Um, because really what this project is to me is like a very personal survey of our agricultural landscape and it's always changing. Um, so I took it for granted that I would do it again in 10 years and you know what? Um, I was right. You um, are still in Mendocino. You do have a farm. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so like the, you know, I, I was so full of hubris and like, um, but I wasn't wrong about this part. And um, so I feel like, you know, in a lot of ways, like when you're, when you're canning food and you're preserving food, it's like a love letter to the future, mm. you know, like you're, you're taking care of yourself in the future. And so for me doing this project again, is kind of a love letter to, you know, the, that the kid that I was in the past and kind of living up to the big promises that I made is like a way of, a way of fulfilling those things, um, that is allowing me to revisit a lot. You know, I mean, so much has changed in the County. So much has changed in my life. Like I, I couldn't imagine, like, you know, even though I was right about some of the macros, I couldn't have possibly imagined how I'd actually get here and what this would feel like. Um, and it's just kind of a unique opportunity to actually be able to fulfill, you know, a promise I made 10 years ago to this place. Um, so I kind of feel like, you know, how could I not do it? Um, part of me couldn't really believe it. I was like, you know, really, am I really going to do this? It's, it's like, it's an immense amount of logistical work, physical labor. It's, it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge undertaking, but yeah, I mean, of course I'm going to do it. Um, partially because I just want to know, I want, I want the answer to the question and partially because I, I kind of want to be able to like, you know, tell my 24 year self, my 24 year old self that 
that I did it. Yeah, look look how far we've come, and we're we're keeping our yeah. promises. Let's take a moment to reintroduce the show. This is Elizabeth Archer. It's the Farm and Garden Show. My guest is Gowan Batiste of Fortunate Farm, which is out in Casper on the coast. Gowan raises heritage sheep. She works with the Mountain Lion, Mountain Lion Foundation to educate other ranchers and farmers on peaceful coexistence with apex predators. She is a writer, and she is starting on another year of local eating um, as a reprisal of the Eat Mendocino Project in 2013. So Sarah Bodner, <clears throat> who has also been a really important part of the local food system, um, largely in drawing attention to the, the cool stuff that's happening, is sort of a... Um, a global nomad at this point. She is uh, trotting the globe, bringing us delicious teas now. Thank you, Sarah, mm-hmm. for doing that for all of us. And so she's not participating. Who is doing it with you this year? You're, you're not alone, right? That would be very lonely. I'm, I'm absolutely not alone. And I'm really looking forward to making Sarah dinner when she's in town. Um, but yeah, Sarah's, Sarah's a jet setter and is now the owner of the Mendocino Tea Company. Can um, you drink the tea that she brings back <laughs> from wherever she's coming from? Technically, no, but it might be a gray area. I'm not sure. We might we might talk about that. It's it's a, um, it's a good discussion. We might talk about that. That's an interesting discussion. Um but um I'm I'm absolutely not alone. Um my um amazing partner Hunter is actually uh cleaning bayonets and setting them out on racks to to dry right now in the background. Yum. And, um my partner Morgan is like probably off um petting the cow. Um and so I have I have people, you know, with me who um, we live together and every step of the way they've been with me harvesting, gathering, processing, storing, um, both like being really, really generous and also like kind of helping like um, helping keep me like grounded in all of this. And as well, I have had this amazing network of friends who've been coming over and canning with me and preserving with me. And some of my, you know, best and oldest friends, um, you know, my friend Amalia has been our, like making sure we don't die of botulism. Please. That's, a, that's an important job. <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, all the, the farmers that surround us, um, you know, Cam and Megan, um, and, um, and Sam and Megan and, um, Julia. And then, um, some of my, you know, oldest and, and best friends, um, Clara and Noah, who are actually milking their goats all the way through the winter, um, rather than taking time off themselves so that we have dairy wow. and we don't have a gap where we don't have dairy. Um, so I'm, I mean, I think the whole core of this project is the opposite of self-sufficiency. Um, it is community sufficiency. Um, self-sufficiency is such a scam. Let's just, such let's scam. put that on the record right now. It's, self-sufficiency it's is not something anyone should strive for. It's not just a scam. It's colonialist propaganda. 100% going. Yes. But, um, so no, there's no part of this that I've ever been alone in. And I think that in a way that is a change from 2013, where I spent a lot of days and nights in 2013 alone, I certainly had community and help and Sarah and I had ourselves, had each other, but, um, you know, I was, I was living mostly on my own, um, doing a lot of this work, um, 
more solo. Um, cause again, like the, I've had more time and more community. A, a difference this time is that I told everybody I was intending to do this really early on mm. and asked for help. I did not do that last time. You know, it's hard <laughs> to ask for help when you're young. And I, for some people, yeah. it's never easier, but when you've done the work and found your values, and if one of your values is community, it gets a little easier to ask for help, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so there there will be folks who are, you know, joining me on this. Like my my partners that I live with, um we're not going to be having like non-local food in the house. Um so um I'm not, you know, we've we've talked about this like, you know, my only one of us drinks drinks coffee. My partner Morgan drinks coffee and might still drink coffee and that's great. Um go to Headlands or well, wherever. Yeah, and- <laughs> you know, even like drink coffee in the house, you know, whatever, that's okay. Like if you're traveling other places, like I'm not, I'm, I am taking this on myself. I'm not imposing it on anybody else. And I also know that, you know, Clara and, and Noah are going to be, um, you know, they've kind of referred to this as like, well, they're doing even you know, light. Um, but you know, we're exchanging preserved things, you know, they're, coming along with us too. And so, yeah, I feel like there is a community network in this. And for a lot of people, it's in a matter of degrees and that's fantastic. Yeah. You you're know, not, a, you're not a purist. Oh, Purism is also colonialist propaganda. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know, this, the, the, the pursuit of this project for me has never been about, you know, the idea of, of purity or perfection. And it's never been something that I've like wanted to be like aspirational that, you know, everyone should do this. It's, it's really, it's an investigation. And part of the reason why I've been able to take it on as an investigation is because like, I've had the privilege to do that in the, both in the position that I'm in, in the, in the kind of County food shed and also, you know, where I am in life, you know, that I like, you know, I don't have kids. I, I have, I work from home, you know, I have the time to devote to this. Um, so yeah, you know, honestly, I think anybody who's willing to, you know, play along with us, um, a hundred percent, I'm a hundred percent in support of that. And I'm not expecting anybody to like, you know, gather all their own salt in order to be my friend, you know, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> but if they do gather some salt, please give you some. You know, honestly, um, we're pretty efficient salt makers. Okay. Yeah. You, I mean, you're right there on the coast, so you've ha- you have lots of access. Right there. It's true. Yeah. You know, and actually, um, Morgan is, is the one who most regularly goes into the ocean and comes out with, with water that we filter and we have a dehydration process. And so, you know, we actually make salt pretty dang efficiently. Cool. And, um, that's new in 2013. We actually were only harvesting salt from the salt flats in the salt harvesting season. And it was probably like at least half bird poop by volume. So. <laughs> Our, our salt process has Yum. come a long way. You know, yeah. my friend one year for Christmas, last year, I guess, um, gave me sea salt mixed with nettles that she had harvested and Beautiful. dehydrated. And it is the most delicious yeah. seasoning on eggs. So tuck that yeah. away when nettles when nettles pop up. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we've would, got some good nettle patches here. <clears throat> what would you say are some common misconceptions that people had in 2013 or have continued maybe still asking you about when you're talking about starting it again about like why you're doing it or what the point is you know i think some folks initially were kind of under the impression that it was like a diet or a cleanse you know it's absolutely not um the point 
is to celebrate Mendocino and celebrate local food in Mendocino. There's, there's, you know, nothing about this is about like lack of indulgence. Like we are celebrating everything that we can celebrate. We're also finding where the gaps are and then figuring out how we can fill them. Um, I think another one is that it's, it's about some kind of pursuit of personal purity or personal harmlessness. Like I've had people say things like, well, what's the point of doing a project like that if you're still driving a gas-powered car? Oh, woof. And it's like, well, you know... If you can't do everything, don't do anything. How dare anything. you do anything, right? It's such a... It's a, but that's a, it's a common kind of mental yeah, trap, I sure. think, that people can get into. And, you know, the thing is, is like, you know, when the average food mile for something in the grocery store is like 1,500 miles, eating local does do something about your carbon footprint, but... You know, this isn't the pursuit of being a completely unproblematic, harmless human being. That's not a possible thing for me to achieve, and I'm, that's not what I'm trying to do. So I, I think part of it is that, you know, our food system, especially on the consumer level, is so focused on judgment and purity and particularly, like, body shaming that it's really hard for people to get their head around something that's focused on food and that has rules around it, but that is different than that. And part of it, I think, is that initially I didn't necessarily expect this project to be something that people followed. And it, it really is kind of an internal evaluation of the food system from someone who is part of the food system. It wasn't really something that was consumer focused um, because, you know, I mean, obviously... I'm dependent on all of these other farmers around me, but they're my colleagues, right? So um, I think the the trick for me is communicating that, like, yeah, I'm taking on this, like, big, audacious thing, but um, it's not with the expectation that, you know, I'm going to be morally virtuous to other people, and it's not that I'm trying to lose weight, like, absolutely not, and it's not that um, I think everyone else should do this. You know, it's, it's really, it's, it's a, it's a kind of a way to radically look behind the, behind the covers of like, how are we doing as a food system? Um, and it's also like, there's a degree to which like it can be so incredibly, um, luxurious too. Oh yeah. Local meat, local dairy. Fantastic, you know, we're going to talk about those bay nuts in a second. Oh my gosh. And like the first strawberry of the season, you know, is unbelievable. And just like the first zucchini of the season is unbelievable. And then like the 5,000th zucchini of the season is like less so. But like, that's kind of the thing about the like, um, the, the sort of temporary abstinence like making the enjoyment of the thing like so much seasonal eating, which we've largely lost. Totally. And then of course, getting to like, getting to do this, like with my partners and like with my friends and getting to like share all of this stuff. Um, it's, it's just like, it's, it's, it's a total pleasure, you know, like there's, yeah, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing about this. That's about like, you know, purity or judgment. Well, it's interesting that people, some people's go to is like, this must be a diet or a cleanse because, we are not taught to have a healthy, pleasurable relation to food 
typically as a society, we're taught to like restrict and, you know, battle our bodies and change our bodies and manipulate our bodies. And, um, food is, can be pleasurable for some. Those people are very lucky to have had a trauma free childhood. And then for those of us who have done the work on, excuse me, our relationship with food, it can be pleasurable again. But for a lot of people, food is so fraught. And so I imagine it's, in a way that you didn't ever intend that the project challenged people's own relationship with food. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that that's, that that's totally the case. And I think that the thing that like made me sad last time is when, when people would talk to me or like, you know, um, and kind of be like, Oh, like, you know, like I just went through the drive through and oh, I'll put this away so you don't have to see it, you know, or whatever. And I'm like, no, like, please go through the drive through if like that's what you're doing today and like that's what fits in your workday and that's what is making you happy and nourishing you like you're not offending me like i'm i'm not the local food police you're like i can also make french fries i just have to yeah. peel a potato and yeah <laughs> you know and the, this is also this is something that is a it's an exploration that like we're choosing to do in this way for this time and it's it's not a comment on anybody else what anyone else should be doing and it that is a like we're in such a competitive culture too and such a like kind of um especially with social media and you know the way that that food gets talked about and i I really want to push back against that as much as as much as possible that like you know no this is like you know i'm a nerd we're nerds this is an investigation this is and this is a celebration um and like you don't have to hide your taco bell you like it's okay man taco bell is delicious like there's a reason fast food has endured it tastes good so you know it's not just that it tastes good but it's like you know something that is really really important is that people all throughout history very few people have had this kind of nuclear family ideal of like a stay-at-home parent who's also a scam also a scam who's cooking like three nutritious meals a day and people in ancient Rome went to food carts, you know, I mean, they either ate really, really simple diets or cooked and ate communally and traded off and took turns. I mean, like it's, this is just something like the idea that like you should cook for yourself every single day, every single time that you eat that 3.5 people. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's, a, it's a massive amount of labor. Fast food also gets demonized by like rich white people and without looking at the reality that fast food are cheap calories. And that is what a lot of people need. And if that's what's going to get your family fed, great. I mean, honestly, like yeah. feed your family. Yeah, feed your family. And I, I think that like as somebody who like, you know, I'm a, I'm a board member of, of CAF. I've like spent a lot of the last like 10 years really like focusing on on local food um infrastructure and and community um i always really try to make it really clear that like you know like i might critique food systems like i'll critique the crop subsidy system that you know undercuts the actual true cost of production and does really bad things in the global south and but then creates this like glut of really really cheap grain um in the u.s you know like you know, you can critique systems. Yeah, you can critique systems people. of social services and safety nets Absolutely. and how we've promoted the nuclear family to a point where it's not really sustainable right. for people to like 
cook together, live in community together. But it's so yeah, it's problematic when you get to the individual decision making level because it's, right. and w- these are not problems made or solved by individuals. Right. And exactly like the majority of food waste is taking place on farms and in factories too, like not in households. So things like that, like something that we'll often say is like, you know, like we're we're hard on systems and soft on people. I in, love it. In this that that needs to be like a mantra that all can adopt hard on systems, soft on people. Because it's hard out there. Life's tough. You know, I have my five, almost six year old, and I'd be lying if I didn't say that it's can be a challenge just even thinking about getting her out of the car. And sometimes drive throughs are a godsend. And I know yeah, she'll eat it. You know, when you're like, right. I really, you are cranky. We got a long drive ahead of us. Like, I need you to right. get calories in your body. Totally. And, you know, when you are like basically embarking on such an intense, like cooking marathon, you know, when I took the, when I did this for the first time at 24, I really wasn't a, a cook. Like I knew how to cook like three things. And that's hard I also to believe because I've seen what you've made since then. So, right? well, I also had like very, very little budget. And, um, you know, one of the things that it really taught me is like, you know, cooking ahead, cooking things that can then be repurposed into several other meals easily in different ways. Like, um, you know, basically like taking as much of the day to day, like decision making labor out of it as possible. Like that, that mental, like cognitive planning labor that's often invisible, that's often feminine labor and, you know, making it as straightforward as you possibly can. And, um, I actually like, I never, I never told Sarah this, this story, but I had this, um, I went to the thrift store, um, and I, I got a slow cooker and, you know, the morning of like, you know, the night before, like we're going to wake up the next day and it's eat Mendocino. I, um, I packed a slow cooker with like beans and, um, you know, like dry beans that I like grown in shelves. So like a lot of labor in these beans and, um, you know, onions and broth and was like, okay, I'm going to have like this like whole slow cooker of beans for us tomorrow. And I'm just going to come over to her house and we'll have dinner handled and we, we won't even have to cook today if we don't want to, we can eat this for lunch and dinner. And, um, and then of course, like I woke up to like the smoke alarm going off no. and this like horrible acrid oh. smell in the house. <laughs> Cause like I cooker at the thrift store and all dials were high, <laughs> you know, I mean, I had it on low, but it didn't, it didn't care. Setting yep. And mm-hmm. setting was boil. There's and a reason it was at the thrift store. There's a reason it was at the thrift store. So, I mean, things like that, um, that like, you know, we've learned a few things. Like, well, then what I, did you eat that day? Oh my gosh. I think I had like the world's saddest hard boiled egg. (laughs) (laughs) I I was very upset. Which is why I couldn't even start. What a start to the year. I couldn't even bear to bring it up to Sarah. Like, you know, and, and so I think for that reason, I, I never actually replaced that slow cooker. Like I've since. I, I went through Eat Mendocino 2013, I think, without a crock pot. And I've since repaired my relationship with okay. them. Okay. And, you know, and now it's like I'm I'm 34 years old. We have two Instapots in this house, like, and several slow cookers. And like we're we've we've leveled up in terms of our our tools and our equipment. So it's gonna be a very different experience in that way. And you know, and actually like I was couch surfing for part of the year wow. in 2013. You know, because we were also, um, 
I remember Sarah saying that by the end of the year, you know, we would have, we would have our farm and just thinking that that was absolutely ridiculous. And I was actually right about that one because we didn't actually move to Fortunate Farm until January 4th of 2014. Okay. So it was close 14. though. Uh huh. Yeah, Sarah said it would be by the end of the year. So, um, but while we were in the process of, you know, applying for farm service agency loans, dealing with all this paperwork, you know, I was like saving every dollar I possibly could. And so I gave up my rental house and was like staying with a friend and driving, you know, it was like in this little off grid cabin and driving into work. And like my whole passenger seat of my truck was just like crates of local food with my like jar of salt. And, you know, my life is less chaotic now Mm -hmm. in that way. You know, I was spending a lot of time cooking at work in the shade structure at work on a hot plate. Oh my gosh. You know, so it's a miracle <laughs> you persisted, truly. You know, honestly, you're a stubborn that, person, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that, um, yeah, we're just, we're very, very stubborn. Um, like, I think if I had been doing it alone, I might have cracked at a yeah, couple points. Sure. But the fact that, like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't alone. And the fact that like, we were telling everybody about it, you know, like we were blogging, we had a social media account, we had all this stuff. And I was like, well, I'm not letting the 12 people that follow us on social media down. (laughs) There were more than 12 of us. Yeah. uh, (laughs) So yeah, no, it was a lot of stubbornness in some pretty unideal conditions. And I'm sure that there's going to be stuff that comes up this year that is hard in ways that I cannot predict now from this end of it. But um, I think that there's some stuff that just objectively speaking is not going to be as difficult. Well, Um, we're going to have this conversation again a year from now. We're going to do another farm and garden show interview at the end of eat Mendocino 2023 Mm -hmm. and see how it went and hear more. um, Hopefully not too many more freezer failing uh, crockpot exploding stories. I check the freezers like every day. <laughs> you got to. Uh, my guest today is Gowan Batiste of Fortunate Farm that is out in Casper. And Gowan is embarking on another year of eating locally starting on January 1st. I am Elizabeth Archer. This is the Farm and Garden Show. We have about 15 minutes left. I'd really like to talk about the local food system in that time. Um, what We talked a little bit about how it has changed in the last 10 years. The Mendo Lake Food Hub is a huge part of how the local food system has grown and changed what other big differences do you see in the last 10 years in our in our local food shed you know um i mean fortunate farm had not yet been born in 2013 it's 10 years old it's 10 years old right um so uh there have been some really big changes you know we've had we've had elders pass on um we've had farms kind of you know, open and then also close in the last 10 years. Um, but I think when I look at the food system now versus 10 years ago, just the sheer volume of new farms, you know, I remember I, I was farming in Oregon. I'm from the Mendocino coast originally, but I'd left to go to college and I was working on farms in outside Portland, Oregon, this huge vibrant farm community of young people, you know, and especially like young queer people. And then, you know, moved home to work at Noyo Food Forest. And it was like, suddenly I went from this like really vibrant, really busy farm community to like crickets. 
you know, and it felt very, very isolated. Here. A lot of cishet white folks. And well, and not even a lot. You Some. Know? I mean, <laughs> there, was, there was almost, there was almost, you know, like, it's, there's very little farm community on the coast. And now looking around, you know, the number of new farms that have opened, the number of farm stands, it's, it's, it's been an incredibly productive 10 years. But also, you know, and these are things that, um, that Sarah was very involved in starting after the, the project ended. Um, you know, we now have a wool mill in Ukiah that direct pub- public offering was something Sarah was involved with. And um, we have the School of Adaptive Agriculture um, and young farmers churning out of there and some of them staying and starting their own projects. You know, the Mendel Lake Food Hub is massive. There's also the Good Farm Fund, um, which, you know, that's another thing that Sarah has been instrumental in. And that's a direct grant program for small farmers. Yeah, um, the Good Farm applied. Fund last week just raised $30,000 at its annual fundraiser. So yeah, there's support. There's a lot of support for local there's food. A, there's a lot of support and we've gotten grants from that. You know, we got a compost spreader from from that grant program. You know, that's a, a huge, huge benefit to the community of, you know, just putting, you know, putting resources where they need to be in order to make things connect. Um, so I think that, you know, there's been a huge amount of just structural support increase in, in the last 10 years, which is, is really interesting. And, you know, Sarah and I spent so much time driving around the County in 2013, trying to find local food. And now, you know, like, you know, even there's a website, yeah, (laughs) you know, the, the ordering period opens and like Hunter and I are sitting on the couch and, you know, ordering local food on the computer like it's it's a whole new world <laughs> um and because you're a distribution node it gets delivered directly to your house we're incredibly spoiled in that way well, like and it's, but it's also talk about your like you know our gas vehicles um right. the footprint has been greatly reduced right you know so i in there's you know there's things like um you know like the mendocino grain project which you know i i I had no idea how to bake in 2013 and someone actually um, bought us a a Mendocino grain project, grain CSA. Mm. And and I basically, I learned how to make um, sourdough pancakes and shortbread cookies. And that was it. Um, I think we made pasta like one time, but I didn't own a pasta maker and I couldn't afford to buy one. So like we made pasta at like someone's house once. Um, you know, the Mendo, the Mendocino Grain Project is still here. And, you know, Doug Mosel has passed the reins on to Rachel Britton. And we have like hundreds of pounds of local grain sitting in our pantry. And it's unbelievable, like the security blanket that that is, like the feeling of like, you know, I bought us a pasta maker with a ravioli attachment. Like, we're going to be fine. Like the freezer's full of pesto (laughs) and the pantry's full of canned tomatoes. Like we got this, you know, um, you know, so that's a, it's a really good, it's a really good feeling. And, you know, there's other things that, you know, this, the pandemic has been incredibly hard. Um, you know, it's been really hard on our farm. I mean, we had a, a fraudulent, um, COVID, uh, relief loan taken out in our name. Oh dear. And had to fight the, you know, um, the IRS over it. And, you know, the, County regulations around farming um, remain really onerous for people and um, high property taxes, you know, that were, uh, 
we're a, a rapidly gentrifying place. And so there's also been farms that have gone out of business in the last 10 years, you know, farms who were a huge part of Eat Mendocino 2013 who aren't here anymore. And that's really, you know, we, I really want to celebrate what's there, but also look at who's missing and why, mm. you know, because some of our like most talented young farmers have either moved to farm in places that were easier for them to get a start in um, or have closed entirely. It's hard to farm. It's hard to be a small diversified vegetable farm, especially. It's especially if you don't own your land. If you don't own your land, I talk about that on the show all the time. It's, it's, there's no security, even if you have a long lease, even if you have a good relationship with your, with the landowner. No. And it's an incredibly physically brutal thing to do. Yeah. So, you know, like all of that bears discussion and speaking about, you know, and like, that's the thing. It's like when, when you, when you love something, you tell the truth about it, you know? So like, like I want to, I want to like, look honestly at all of that. Um, you know, it's, it's a, um, it's an incredibly diverse County. I mean, there aren't many places in the world that have so such variation. Geographically diverse. Yeah. It's a geographically diverse County. Yeah. It's an incredibly geographically diverse county. You know, we go from the ocean and like the foggy coast to like the like blisteringly hot inland um, temperatures. You know, there's um, like there's so much here. It and that's kind of part of the point. You know, I'm I'm not doing this in Des Moines. You know, right? Um, it, it's not an austerity is, measure. You're going no. to eat luxuriously. <laughs> Yeah. And, and that's, and that's the thing is like, really, if, if anywhere should be able to have the degree of resilience and sovereignty that we need, it should be us. And I feel like that has been brought home to me even more intensely in the time between 2013 and now, especially in 2017, when we had those, you know, absolutely apocalyptic fires in Mm. Mendocino County and we had fire refugees staying on our farm you know, our supply lines were down and we almost needed to house those people because there was so much food on the farm that couldn't go on the hub because the hub couldn't run. So, you know, I don't know what we would have done if we hadn't been feeding, you know, around 50 people a day. Um, and, And I feel like that's a really important piece of it for me is like, as you know, climate change does what it does as 200 years of horrible fire policy um, based on a colonial lack of attention to like how fire culture should happen here. You know, as all of this stuff kind of works its way into the future, this, this is, this is really like what I feel like we need to really thrive here is like a, a really focused, careful look at at what's here who's here who's making it happen and what is needed to be able to increase accessibility um for everybody um because ultimately like that's <laughs> like like that's that's the most important thing to me i think going forward like you know what's what's the point of having a local food system you know why can't we truck it all in from the cape Bay valley it's like well you know, we have times when the trucks don't come from the Cape Bay Valley. Or that road might get washed out or bombed out or burned exactly. over. Exactly. So, you know, I think that there's there's a community element here that really is just about celebration and um, 
an appreciation and hedonism. And then there's also <laughs> a really practical element of um, wanting to really like understand in a very granular way, like what are our resources and what are our vulnerabilities? Well, we're coming to the end of the show and this has been such a wonderful conversation. I do want to ask you, what do you think you're going to miss eating and, and what um, substitutes have you found for those cravings? Oh my gosh. Um, so I've actually been, been sitting here drinking, um, hot chocolate with marshmallows from my Ooh, partner. Ooh, delicious. Morgan, for me. <laughs> um, I, I feel like, um, one of the things that I really missed last time was a kind of a, a morning tea ritual. And, um, this time we're actually, we're making like a chai powder. Um, with bay nuts and candy cap mushrooms and powdered ginger and powdered citrus peel. Yum. And I'm really excited to wake up in the morning and like froth that with some milk and honey. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing is there hasn't, there isn't usually a lot that you actually miss. I remember last time, sometimes the most random things would pop into my head. Um, things that I hadn't eaten for years before anyway, like things that I wasn't regularly eating. Like I remember one day when like all I could think about was like Lucky Charms. And I don't, I don't think that I'd <laughs> eaten Lucky Charms since I was like four. Um, but I do remember having an experience near the end of the project where I went into the grocery store for dish detergent and just being in the grocery store and looking around at this like, um, like overwhelming immense like diversity of like food choices, but also feeling like this really weird sense of disconnection and this sense of like, I don't know any of these people. Right. Like, like where did this come know, from? Like, yeah. Like, I don't know this food. Like these are, <laughs> this is stranger food, you know? Um, and you know, the feeling of like actually like walking into a grocery store, cause as you can imagine, like there wasn't a lot of reason to go in them. You know, because of the Mendo Lake Food Hub, there's actually quite a bit more local food in grocery stores now than there was 10 years ago. But I didn't have a lot of reason to go in there. Um, but having the experience of walking around it and then truly feeling that there wasn't really anything I actually wanted, mm. it's actually a really liberating feeling. I bet. And I remember the project ending and thinking of like, what is the like, the absolute expression of like, you know, like food culture. And I came up with like a chocolate croissant, right? Because there's like the refined flour, the sugar, the elaborate processing, the multiple layers with the butter, the, the refined coca, you know, like this whole, like so much culture and in, imperialism, frankly, is, is needed to make this thing. Right. And I remember like getting it and, and biting into it for the first time in over a year and kind of being like, you know what? It's good. But like, it's not like it, it's not like justifying everything it took to make it happen sure. good. Yeah. Like, like there's other good things. Yeah, there's other better things that <clears throat> they that don't do everything. Right, those you know, chocolatey you know, delicious morsels. Yeah, and I'm actually really interested in the experience of some of the, you know, my my partners who are doing this this with me, my friends like although, you know, I'm not holding anybody to like a 100% adherence to these, these rules. I'm interested in seeing what comes up for other folks because for me, like, I think pretty quickly I stopped, I stopped wanting anything. Um, and it, you know, it's, 
it's interesting how that how that happens. Um, and I'm also wondering, like, I'm, my life is different now. Like, I'm I'm older now. I have like a different set of life concerns, and it might be totally different. I mean, you might talk to me in a couple of months, and I might just be like, you know, all I want in this world is a cupcake. Like, why did I do this? We could make you a cupcake. You might need to make me a cupcake. I, you know, I, I'll make you a cupcake. I have some canned peaches we did with Carson's honey <laughs> that I'm going to give you. Um, I think just like in 2013, people are going to come out of the woodwork to support you in this project. And Gowan, that's our show. That hour flew by. Thank you so much. Gowan Batiste, tell folks if they want to follow you on this adventure where they can do that. Um, so, um, Eat Mendocino is on social media. We're, um, on, uh, Facebook and Instagram. I'm usually most active on Facebook. And I also have a Patreon, um, which you can search, uh, Gowan Batiste on Patreon. And, um, I will be writing all over the place. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to, I'm excited to get into this and look forward to, bringing everybody along with us. I cannot wait. And I'm so excited already for our conversation a year from now about how it all went. <laughs> this has been the Farm and Garden Show in two weeks. It's a special uh, fifth Thursday edition. We're actually going to replay a show I did in September with fat activist Brian Guffey about the movie The Whale starring Brendan Fraser, which is going to be premiering, I believe, in January. I wrote a post on Facebook about that movie that actually went viral because Gowan shared it. And and then all of her followers shared it and I blew up on the internet unexpectedly and we did a really interesting show about it and Brian Guffey was an amazing guest there's so much to learn and unpack in that episode so tune in in two weeks and then two weeks after or one week after that we'll have a show on my 41st birthday uh, this has been the Farm and Garden Show thanks everybody thanks Gowan thank you This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.